Welcome to Zion Fellowship's Bible Wire. In these podcasts, we discuss what the Bible says, line upon line and precept upon precept. Today, Ben Allen will be continuing our study on the book of Acts. Settle in for the next few minutes and learn more about who God is and how he loves. Hi, everyone. Welcome to back to the Bible Wire podcast. This is Benjamin Allen, and I will be your host for the next six episodes as we go through chapters 9 and 10 of the book of Acts. In this episode, we return to the character of Saul, later known as Paul, who earlier was approving of Stephen's, Stephen's excuse me, execution. Let's read the text. This is Acts 9, 1 through 19. I'm reading out of the ESV. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Though the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. But there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is, cho- he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Verse 17, So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days, he was there with the disciples at Damascus. All right. So it's here we see Saul, who was the leader in the devastating persecution of the early church. On the road to Damascus, we meet the risen Lord. So important is the event that Luke gives 
three versions of it here, obviously, and also in Acts 22, 3 through 21, as well as Acts 26, 9 through 18. The second and third are autobiographical in style, forming part of Paul's defense before a hostile Jewish crowd in one case and before a bemused King Agrippa in the other. We'll see later in further episodes much later down the road. All throughout Acts 9, Luke continues to reveal more of what it means to be part of the believing community. We also see more broadly that from Acts 8 to 10, three conversion stories take center stage. We see the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8 that George spoke about, one who searches the scriptures, and now we see Saul, an enemy of Jesus, in Acts 9. And lastly, I'll talk about with Cornelius in Acts 10, a God-fearing Gentile. I'm going to pick up Peterson's commentary I've been using throughout this podcast. It says, Saul experiences a Christophany. That's just a fancy way of seeing a sighting of Christ in broad daylight, in which, quote, a light from heaven surrounds him, and he is addressed by the voice of Jesus. This encounter has a physical as well as a spiritual effect on him. As well as being temporarily blinded, he is humbled by the encounter and is moved to fast for three days before being visited by Ananias and being told what he must do. Even in this brief brief passage, the change in Saul from the opening description in verses 1 and 2 to the concluding one in 8 and 9 is dramatic. At first glance, this seems to be a resurrection appearance like those recorded in Luke's, 20, in Luke's gospel Chapter 24, 13 through 49. Like no one else in Acts, apart from the apostles, Saul is later described as having seen the Lord and being addressed by him. Acts 9, 27. Damascus, end quote. Uh, Damascus was about 135 miles from Jerusalem. And so Luke coins a term for the believing community, calling them the people of, quote, the way. This supernatural light outshone the new time. Noonday Sun, and subsequent references in Acts make it clear that Saul saw the exalted Messiah, not just a light from heaven, yet in all three of these accounts, the brilliant light is emphasized. And in the first two, Saul is blinded and has to have his sight restored. The light in this context appears to be a manifestation of Christ's heavenly glory. This is in reference to what he says, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, which says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The supernatural impacts on the natural as Saul is blinded. But there is a, also a symbolic aspect to this light. Saul is forced by the Messiah's light to recognize his own blindness and to receive his sight through him. Having seen the light of Christ himself, Saul was then required to bear witness to what he had seen and heard. The risen Lord Jesus appointed him to fulfill the servant's role outlined in Isaiah 49.6, which says, he says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant, to rise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. 
I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth, end quote. Just a sidebar here. Paul has so many parallels with Jesus, so many. And this is just one of the many that we'll see over the course of Paul's journey. Now, in exchange between the risen Lord and Saul, we read Jesus address him personally. Jesus identifies himself, and not only that, he identifies himself with the church. And those who are united to Christ by faith suffer as he did, and he identifies with them in their struggle. And as we move to verse 7 through 9, the nameless travelers hearing the sound but did not see anyone. I want to stress the reason behind that this is the revelatory element of this encounter was for Saul alone, not for others around him. Just because the Lord shows something to someone else doesn't mean that something is ours to commandeer. Within the remaining time, I want to take up until verse 19. Peterson, uh, in his commentary, says, quote, The risen Lord Jesus encounters both Saul and Ananias, but in different ways bringing them together and changing both of them in the process. Ananias is addressed by the Lord in a vision through which the divine will for Saul's life is revealed and the genuineness of his conversion and calling is established. Not only must Saul's aggression toward the disciples be curbed, but Ananias' fear of the prosecutor must be overcome. Ananias thus becomes the means by which God's intentions for Saul are first articulated. He also becomes the means by which Saul's sight is restored. He is filled with the Spirit, Holy Spirit, baptized and introduced to the fellowship of believers in Damascus. End quote. Ananias is introduced to us as a disciple. He knew of Saul and appears to have been a longtime resident of Damascus. Ananias is given specific instructions about where to find Saul. The street called Straight is commonly identified with Darb el Moskitim in today's world um, in Damascus, Syria, but which still runs east-west in a somewhat modified form through Damascus. And in Acts 9, Ananias needs to be told about the Lord's plan for Saul before he has the courage to go and meet him. In other words, this revelation is God's way of overcoming his fear and mistrust before he can fulfill his ministry to Saul. Ananias has protected, or excuse me, Ananias has protested that Saul has been persecuting those who call on Christ's name. Now the Lord says he will use Saul to carry my name, end quote. Before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, meaning that he will bear witness to what he has seen and heard of the risen Jesus and preach in his name. The element of character witness to Christ through Saul's lifestyle appears to be included in the concept of carrying the name. Such a calling implies a Christ-likeness in life and ministry. The great antagonist of the gospel will become its outstanding protagonist. The prosecutor will become the persecuted and suffer like Jesus himself. He will join the fellowship of those who are afflicted because of their identification with the Lord Jesus. These verses particularly anticipate the defense and trial scenes in Acts 20 through, 22 through 26. Ananias is obedient to the divine command, and he welcomes him as a brother in the Lord.
Now, lastly, one, one last thing from Peterson's commentary. There, quote, there are many ways in which Saul's conversion was unique. Indeed, neither the Ethiopian nor Saul nor Cornelius is presented as an ideal example of how people become Christians. Each individual whose conversion appears in Acts represents some larger group or some thread in Luke's narrative. No conversion, not even that of the crowd at Pentecost, establishes a pattern that is to be followed by later believers or is appealed to in preaching. Luke illustrates the sovereign freedom of God to bring about faith in Christ in a way that is suitable to the situation of each individual. In the case of Saul, the narrative shows how he was transformed by the Lord's sudden intervention in his life and how he was accepted by the church and encouraged forward in his ministry through the Lord's use of Ananias, end quote. We all must look to see that coming to believe in Jesus is not a cookie-cutter process, rather a unique and greatly crafted journey to faith. In each of our lives, the Lord works to bring about his ultimate purpose. The eunuch, Saul, and later we'll see in Acts 10 with Cornelius, that in each conversion there is a specific task and calling with which the Lord draws them to, and even now to each one of us, to in knowing this, I pray God we may each come to the knowledge of what he has called each one of us to do in this life. That's all. Bye-bye. We have reached the end of today's Bible Wire podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, or if you'd like more resources related to this podcast, you can find us online at www.zionfellowship.net. We're also available on social media. Look for Zion Fellowship. Thank you for joining us today on Bible Wire.